Okay, well, good morning again, Lighthouse Baptist Church. I'm glad to see you all today. Uh, let's start with a word of prayer. Dear Lord, you want to speak to us today. So, Lord, I pray that just as you taught Samuel through Eli, I pray that you will teach us to say, Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. Lord, I pray that would be true of us today, that, that we would be listening to what you want to say to us today. And God, we wouldn't just hear it, but we would live it, we would apply it, we would take it deep into our hearts, we would wrestle with it, we would chew on it. God, your word is a lamp for our feet, it's a light for our path. So Lord God, I pray that we would, if we're still asleep, wake up, pay attention, God, your word says, wake up, O sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine his light on you. Lord, it's cloudy outside, it's raining outside, but Lord, in our hearts, it's shining bright because Jesus is here with us. We love you, Lord. We thank you so much for the joy that we can have in Jesus. And I pray, Lord, that we would learn about that joy today and that we would take it deep into ourselves and that you would shine it through us. We love you, Lord. We thank you so much. Please speak through me today. And please, by your Holy Spirit, help us to hear you. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, if you have your Bible with you, go ahead and turn with me to Luke chapter 10, verse 16 through 24. Luke chapter 10, verse 16 through 24. Okay. So this is Jesus speaking. And he says, Whoever listens to you, listens to me. Whoever rejects you, rejects me. But whoever rejects me, rejects him who sent me. The 72 disciples returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. He replied, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. However, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. At that time, Jesus, full of joy through the Holy Spirit, said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this is what you were pleased to do. All things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows who the Son is except the Father, and no one knows who the Father is except the Son and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Then he turned to his disciples and said privately, Blessed are the eyes that see what you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings wanted to see what you see, but did not see it. And to hear what you hear, but did not hear it. Well, believe it or not, this is the sixth week of our series that we're calling Encounters with Jesus. We're in the book of Luke so that we can look at Luke's different accounts of Jesus' 
encounters that people had with Jesus so that we, too, can have an encounter with Jesus. And as we've been saying, there's so many encounters with Jesus because there's so many different aspects of Jesus and all the different as encounters with Jesus. We see who Jesus is and not just who Jesus is, but who we can be in Jesus. And today, in this passage, we see that Jesus is joyful. He's full of joy. Now, I don't know if that's how you typically think of Jesus, but I want you to see in this passage that Jesus' joy stands out more than just the regular joy. So look, in this passage, there are 72 disciples. These aren't the 12 disciples. These are 72 other disciples. And Jesus sends them out with a big mission. Jesus, we learned, we didn't read this. We started in verse 16. But before that, Jesus assembled all these 72 disciples and he sent them two by two, where? Into all the towns and all the places that Jesus was about to go to. And they had a mission. They were supposed to announce that the kingdom of God had come near and they were supposed to heal the sick. And ultimately, this was kind of warming up these towns and these places for when Jesus would enter into them. And so they come back to Jesus. That's what our passage is about today. When they come back from this mission, it seems to have gone well because they returned with joy. They had joy, right? But what does it say about Jesus? It says that Jesus was full of joy. They returned with joy, but Jesus was full of joy. Now, every week when I prepare the message, I make sure to read through the passage in the original language. Of course, we're in the New Testament, so this is in Greek. To me, it's so exciting when you see things like this, because the word it uses that we have translated as Jesus full of joy, in the Greek, that word is egaliasato. It combines the Greek words for jump, and much. It literally means to jump for joy. So when what we have translated as Jesus was full of joy, it literally meant Jesus was jumping for joy. So they're returning with joy. Yay! Jesus is jumping for joy. Do you see that Jesus' joy was greater than his disciples' joy? Now the question is, why was Jesus' joy so much greater than his disciples' joy. Well, the reason is because what he was rejoicing in was greater than what they were rejoicing in. Now look, in this passage, when we see what the disciples were rejoicing in, we see what we are typically rejoicing in. So today, I want us to just simply compare what we rejoice in, what the disciples were rejoicing in, and what Jesus rejoiced in. Because we don't have to wonder, how could we possibly have the joy that Jesus had? No, he tells us how we can have the joy that he had. Because he tells us what he was rejoicing in, and he tells us that we should rejoice in it. And we won't have the joy that Jesus had until we start rejoicing in what Jesus rejoiced in. So that's our two sermon points today. That's what we're going to do. We're going to look at, number one, what we rejoice in. And then we're going to look at, number two, what Jesus rejoiced in. So first, what we rejoice in. 
Look at numbers, or verse 17 with me again. Verse 17. The 72 returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. Now look, when the disciples returned, what were they rejoicing in? They were rejoicing in what they had done. Lord, even the demons submit to us. But what did Jesus tell them when they said this? What was his response? Jesus said, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you. Well, why not? Why would Jesus say, don't rejoice that the spirits submit to you? Jesus, they just drove demons out of people that were full of them. Is Jesus not happy for them? Is Jesus not happy with them? Is he not celebrating with them? Isn't this what he sent them out to do? Look, Jesus is celebrating with them. He is happy for them. He even says, when they say, the demons submit to us in your name, he says, yes, I saw Satan all like lightning from heaven. Jesus is glad. But what I want you to see is that even though Jesus celebrates this, Jesus doesn't want them to find their ultimate joy in what they do. Jesus doesn't want us to find our ultimate joy in what we do. Why not? Why doesn't he want us to find our ultimate joy in what we do? Because Jesus knew that if our joy is rooted in what we do, ultimately, it will make us miserable. Yeah, we'll have some joy right now, but ultimately, it won't be true and lasting joy. It'll make us miserable. Martin Lloyd-Jones, I've mentioned him before, uh, he was a uh, Welsh minister who was uh, a pastor in London, and uh, in his book, Spiritual Depression, which is just a collection of his sermons on spiritual depression, he talks about how a lot of times he would ask people, are you a Christian? After explaining what justification by faith is, he would basically give them the whole uh, explanation of what it means to be a Christian. When he'd ask them, are you ready to say that you're a Christian? He said a lot of times they would hesitate. And he would ask them, why is it that you're hesitating? And they would say, well, I don't, I don't think I'm good enough. I don't think I'm good enough. And Martin Lloyd-Jones, who before he was a pastor, he was actually a practicing physician. He was a doctor. Right then he would have a diagnosis. He would know immediately when they, when they said, I don't think I'm good enough, they were thinking in terms of themselves. And that's incredibly dangerous, right? What does that do? He knew that that keeps us from experiencing the joy that God has for us in Jesus. And this is what he says. I'll just read you his words. He says, as long as you go on thinking about yourself and saying, ah, oh, yes, I would like to, but I am not good enough. I am a sinner, a great sinner. You are denying God and you will never be happy. You will continue to be cast down and disquieted in your soul. You will think you are better at times, and then again you will find that you are not as good as you thought you were. You read the lives of the saints, and you realize that you are nowhere. So you keep on asking, what can I do? I still feel that I am not good enough. So what should you do? He says, forget yourself. Forget all about yourself. Of course you are not good enough. You never will be good enough. Look. What was Martin Lloyd-Jones saying there? 
Marlon Lloyd Jones is saying that as long as your joy is rooted in what you do, your joy is destined to fail. Why? Because you are destined to fail. Do you see the problem with rooting your joy in your performance for God and what you do for God? Look, when you fail, you can't have joy because you think, I'm not good enough. I didn't live up to God. I didn't perform well enough. But there's a flip side to that. On one side, when you fail, you'll think, I'm not good enough. But when you succeed, what will happen? These disciples just succeeded. What happened? They had joy, but it wasn't true and lasting joy. Because when you succeed and you base your joy on your performance, what do you do? You say, how long can I keep this up? And when they came to Jesus, they had some joy, but it wasn't full and lasting joy. Why? Because they were thinking, man, how long can I keep this up? And the truth is, you can't keep this up. Jesus knew they were going to fail in the future. That's why he didn't want them to root their joy in their performance, in what they did. Look, you are going to fail. I know that's hard to swallow. I know that's hard for your pride to take in, but you have to hear it. Why? Because it's true. And the truth will do what? Set you free. Look, the question is, are you better than Jesus' disciples? No, think about Jesus' closest, one of his closest disciples, Peter. Peter was on a roller coaster of success and failure, and success and failure. I mean, think about it. Think about Peter's life. One minute, he was walking on water. The next minute, he was sinking. One minute, Jesus was saying, you are Peter, and on this rock, I will build my church. The next minute, Jesus was saying, get behind me, Satan. One minute, Peter was declaring, I'll never leave you, Jesus. The next minute, Peter was denying that he even knew Jesus. And you could say, well, yeah, but that was before he was sent out in the book of Acts to lead the church. Well, yeah, even then, even when he was still preaching and leading people to Jesus, he was still succeeding and then failing, and succeeding and then failing, and succeeding and then failing. Look, Peter failed over and over and over again. But this same Peter who failed over and over and over again, he also wrote to a group of fellow Christians in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 8 through 9, he said to them, though you have not seen him, Jesus, though you have not seen Jesus, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Now, let me ask you a question. Having just read that, does this sound like someone to you whose joy was found in their performance, in what they did? No. That's the same person that failed over and over and over again, and yet he found an inexpressible and glorious joy. Or as we sing about joy unspeakable and full of glory. That's what he experienced. But he could never have experienced that if he was rooting it in what he did because he felt over and over and over again. Look, if Peter was rejoicing in what he did, he could never have been filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy, and neither can you.
But Peter did have a deep joy. Why? Because it was Jesus' joy. And he had Jesus' joy because he rejoiced in what Jesus rejoiced in. So that leads us to ask the question, okay, what did Jesus rejoice in? If what we typically rejoice in is what we do, and that's not what we should rejoice in, what does Jesus say to rejoice in? But when the 72 disciples returned, they pointed to someone. Who did they point to? Themselves, right? Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. But did you notice in this passage who Jesus was pointing to? Not just once, but over and over and over. Jesus is pointing to someone over and over in this passage. Who? The Father. Did you realize that? Did you see that? Let's go through it. I'm going to show you every part in this passage where he does that. Verse 16. Whoever rejects me rejects him who sent me. He's pointing to the Father. Verse 18. I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Well, who cast Satan out of heaven like lightning? The Father. Verse 21. I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth. He's pointing to the Father. Verse 22. All things have been committed to me by my Father. He's pointing to the Father again and again and again. We rejoice in what we have done. That's typically what we rejoice in. That's where we root our joy in. Jesus rejoiced in what the Father had done. Do you see the big difference? Do you see our source of joy and his source of joy? Look, verse 20, if you have a pen, go ahead and circle verse 20, because verse 20 is the crux of this sermon. It's the crux of this passage. Everything in this passage revolves around verse 20. Do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. In other words, don't rejoice in what you do. Rejoice in what God did. Okay, what did God do? He wrote your name in heaven. Wow. Now, do you, do you see what we're doing when we try to get our joy, our belonging, our standing with God by our efforts, by our performance? What are we doing? We're trying to write our names in heaven. Jesus, aren't you so impressed with me? Look at what we did. Look at what I did. I'm trying to get an identity. I'm trying to get an image. I'm trying to write my name in heaven. No, look. True joy doesn't come from trying to belong to God. True joy comes from knowing that you already belong to God. Now that is true joy. That is lasting joy. Dane Ortland, in his book Gentle and Lowly, he says there are two ways to live the Christian life. You can live it either for the heart of Christ or from the heart of Christ. You can live for the smile of God or from it, for your union with Christ or from it. And he gives a little illustration. He says, Picture a 12-year-old boy growing up in a healthy, loving family. 
As he matures through no fault of his parents, he finds himself trying to figure out how to really assure himself a place in the family. So this is what he does. One week, he tries to create a new birth certificate for himself. The next week, he determines to spend all his extra time scrubbing the kitchen clean. The following week, he determines to do all he can to imitate his dad. One day, his parents question his strange behavior. I'm just doing all I can to secure my place in the family, guys. How would his father respond? Calm yourself, my dear son. There's nothing you could possibly do to earn your place among us. You are our son, period. You didn't do anything at the start to get into our family. And you can't do anything now to get out of our family. Live your life knowing your sonship is settled and irreversible. Look, I know it's kind of a funny illustration and it's easy to look at that 12-year-old boy and say, what? Why would he think he needed to create his own birth certificate? Why would he think he needed to impress his dad? Why did he think he needed to do enough good things to belong to the family? Don't you realize that's what we do all the time? We are so much like that 12-year-old boy. No wonder Jesus had to remind us that our names are already written in heaven. Look, the question is, are you living for a name in heaven? Or are you living from knowing that you have a name in heaven? Look, are you trying to create a birth certificate? Or are you rejoicing that you have a birth certificate in heaven? Are you scrubbing the kitchen clean so that you will have a father? Or are you scrubbing the kitchen clean because you have a father? Are you imitating your heavenly father so that he will love you? Or are you imitating your heavenly father because he loves you? There is a huge, huge, huge difference and so often we're doing the first one when Jesus tells us to do the second one. Look with me at verse 21. In verse 21, this is one of the most confusing verses in the passage, but I think when we understand it, it will unlock what Jesus is telling us in this passage. At that time, Jesus, full of joy through the Holy Spirit, said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this is what you were pleased to do. Now, when we read this, why are we confused? Because we say, what? Why would Jesus thank the Father that certain people don't know the Father? Thank you, Father, this is hidden from the wise and learned. Is Jesus celebrating that people don't know the Father? No, not at all. Look, Jesus was not celebrating that people don't know the Father. Jesus was celebrating how people know the Father. Do you see the difference? Look, imagine if he said the very opposite. Imagine if Jesus said, I thank you, Father, that this is hidden from little children and that this is revealed to the wise and learned. 
Now that would be scary. You would say, oh, well, how wise and learned do I have to be? That's not what he said at all, though. He said, thank you that this is hidden from the wise and learned and revealed to little children. In other words, what is Jesus saying? He's saying, thank you, Father, that knowing you is not some exclusive club that people have to do good enough things to get in. But thank you, Father, that knowing you is something that you freely extend to everyone and all they have to do is accept it. Just like a little child accepts adoption. It's free. Jesus rejoiced that God doesn't try us out for a club. He adopts us into a family. He writes our names in heaven. We don't write our names in heaven. He writes our names. That's what Jesus rejoiced in. And that's what you can rejoice in. And you won't have true joy until you start rejoicing in that. Look, our last two verses, verse 23 through 24, it says, Then he, Jesus, turned to his disciples and said privately, Blessed are the eyes that see what you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings wanted to see what you see, but did not see it. And to hear what you hear, but did not hear it. What are they seeing and hearing right then and there that prophets and kings long to see, long to hear? God in the flesh. Look, you could say, well, why did they long to see God? Why did they long to hear God? Didn't they know that God was out there somewhere? Yes, they did. But there's a huge difference between knowing that someone is out there and knowing that someone is right here with you. Isn't there a huge difference between those two? If you have a child that's gone off to college or moved away, you know that there's a huge difference between knowing that they're out there somewhere and they're here right now. I get to see them. I get to hear them. Look, have you ever seen those videos? They usually go viral, but usually there's videos where a soldier will return home from war and they'll surprise their family member. Maybe it's their spouse. Maybe it's their child. Maybe it's their sibling. What happens in those videos? Usually, you know, the person that's being surprised, that's receiving the surprise, they're crying, and you're probably crying with them while you watch it, but they're not tears of sadness. They're tears of joy because they are reunited with the person that they love the most. They're full of joy. They're crying, and they're weeping, And look, Jesus is saying, if you only knew who was standing in front of you, you would be doing the same thing. You would be crying. You'd be falling to your knees. You'd be rejoicing. Why? Because God is home. Jesus says, that's what my existence means. Because I'm here, God's home. But look, in those videos, there's at least two people rejoicing, right? The person receiving the surprise, they're rejoicing, they're full of joy. But did you notice the person that came home is also full of joy? Why? 
because we get our joy by being with the ones that we love the most. And now you see why Jesus is jumping for joy in this passage, because we are who Jesus loves the most. You are who Jesus loves the most. And his joy comes from being with you. Look, because you're who Jesus loves the most, you are his greatest joy. Does that sound almost unbelievable to you? You might say, gosh, is that true? That's not just something I'm saying to you. That's something that the Bible says to you. Hebrews chapter 12 Verse 2, what does it say? It says, For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. You'll say, what does that have to do with me? What, well, the joy set before him on the other side of the cross, that's being with the Father. Well, yeah, but he was already with the Father before he came here. Well, yeah, the joy set before him was being in heaven. Well, he already was in heaven before he came here. What was on the other side of the cross that he didn't have before he came here, before he went to the cross? What was on the other side of the cross that he could only have by enduring the cross? You. You. You are what he went to the cross for. And look, you are the reason that he was jumping for joy because he knew that he was one cross away from being reunited with you. You're his greatest joy. Don't you see that? And look, how does that change you? How does that affect you? Once you realize that you're his greatest joy, he will become your greatest joy. Look, you can find the greatest joy in knowing that you are God's greatest joy. And what was God doing through the cross? What was he doing? He was writing your name in heaven. And when you know that, when you believe that, when you trust that, and when you put your faith in that, you can jump for joy with him. Let's pray. Lord, if we only knew what it means that our names are written in heaven, it's done. Like Jesus said on the cross, it is finished. And God, by our actions, we are so often trying to finish something that you declared finished over 2,000 years ago. Lord, it's not that the good works you send us out to do are bad. It's that we do them for the wrong reason. We do them for you. God, I pray that we wouldn't do those things for you or for your love, but we would do them out of gratitude for your love. I pray we wouldn't try to buy you, but we would know that we've already been bought by you. And Lord, when we know that, when we rejoice in that, that our names are written in heaven, God, then we have joy that doesn't run out. It's not based on circumstances, not based on the weather, not based on performance. It's just based on what you've said about us. 
You love us. You laid your life down for us. And God, I pray that today we'll rejoice in that. I pray we'll take this deep down into our hearts and meditate on it all this week. That we'll rejoice, not that the spirits submit to us, but that our names are written in heaven. We love you, Lord. We thank you for loving us first. It's in Jesus' precious name that we pray. Amen.